Hey, good morning, Trinity. Welcome to church. It's really good to be with you today. My name is Matthew, and I'm the pastor here on the east side, and um, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in and see uh, what God has for us in this text. And then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who showed him, uh, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payments to be made. And so the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon another of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into a prison until he would pay the debt. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Let's pray. Lord, it is sometimes as hard to thank you for a word that feels so hard. But we do believe or we lay claim of the idea that if you're speaking a word, It is life and peace. It is grace upon grace. And it's a hard thing to wrap our minds and hearts around that idea with such harsh language, such severe teaching. So we just ask God for a softness to to land on us and an openness and a willingness to hear. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, into this space. We ask you to take up this space within us and speak. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been, um, for weeks now, doing a study that we're calling Citizens, and it's really just taking the teachings of Matthew's gospel, which are on the kingdom of God, and and saying, what does it mean for us to live as citizens of that kingdom? Um, It feels like an appropriate time to be asking questions like that, as so many different parties and tribes uh, are, are warring with one another. What did the people of God, what did the citizens of God's kingdom do in a moment like we are living in? And for the last couple of weeks, we've talked specifically about what does relationship look like in the kingdom? How do God's citizens relate to one another, specifically around wounding and re- reconciliation and, and forgiveness? And we continue with that teaching Today, In fact, we actually began our text with this story that's sort of like a bridge between last week's text and, and this week, which is Peter going to Jesus late at night. We, we find out in another gospel, it's very late. It's just the two of them sort of wakes him up and says, Jesus, um, 
how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother again? Just like, what are the parameters around this exactly? Uh, seven times? Like that feels like a lot. Would seven be enough? And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, 77 times, which, um, which of course is not literal. What Jesus is actually referencing there is, is, the, is the, the idea of the year of Jubilee. It was a codified year in the Mosaic law that after seven cycles of seven years, all debts were forgiven. All trespasses were pardoned. All land was returned to the original owners. All servants and slaves were released and set free. Every, uh, after seven cycles of seven years, this would happen. And Jesus is basically saying, Christians live in perpetual jubilee year. You are a people who always release debt. You always forgive. You never stop doing that. This is the rest of your life if you're my disciple. And then he says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven would be like a king. And he tells this story about a king who's collecting debts. And the first servant that we meet that comes before this king has an incredible debt. It's an outrageous debt. It's 10,000 talents which is a number that means nothing to you probably, but a talent was equal to 20 years of a laborer's wages. So 10,000 talents is 200,000 years worth of wages. So the scholars like to do the math on this sort of thing. And we're talking about something in the billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, which is of course almost comedic, like right out of the gate. It's sort of like funny, like Jesus like picked the biggest number he could think of. I mean, how do you, how do you possibly accrue $10 billion worth of debt? Did he, did he blow up the palace? Did he uh, gamble away the King's NFL franchise? How do you, how do you lose $10 billion? And yet here, he, here he's in this predicament and he begs for mercy. And, and amazingly, incredibly, the king forgives the whole debt. And we're meant to say, ah, oh, this is what God is like. This is what he does. He just forgives sins. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It doesn't matter how egregious, how extravagant, how, how absurd the sin is. God is always willing to forgive. This is a feel-good story. But it goes on, of course, and it takes a strange turn. And this person who just been forgiven, this incredible $10 billion debt goes out. And the first thing he does is shake down a guy who owes him far, far less a hundred denarii is about four months wages, which is still like real money, right? I mean, it's not not money. And yet four months wages compared to 200,000 years worth of money, um, it's the, the comparison is meant to be extreme. It's incredible. It's absurd. And yet he says, you have to owe me, you have to give me the money you owe me right now. And the man says, I can't do it. Please have mercy on me. Please pardon me. I promise. Give me some time. I'll pay you back. And he's like, no, I'm going to put you in prison. And he throws him in debtor's prison and says, you're going to stay there until you have worked off the debt that you owe me. And of course, the last movement is the king finding out about this. And he is very mad. He finds the slave. He throws him into prison. And we are told that this slave is going to go to prison and be tortured until he has repaid 200,000 years worth of wages. And then Jesus gives the coda to the story. So I tell you, it shall be for every one of you who does not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. So are we awake? Like, are we paying attention? Jesus says, let the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are we, are we immediately doing what we tend to do uh, in the West with a teaching like this and try to, try to shrink it down, try to minimize the force of these words? Can we just, can we just chalk this up to Jesus's hyperbole? Like he's, he, sometimes he's emotional, sometimes he exaggerates, sometimes he, he says more than needs to be said. Is that what's going on here. And of course, like whenever we come across a teaching of Jesus like this, we, I, I always think, I love the question that our bishop asks, whenever he comes across something in Jesus that you sort of trip over, the question is, do I think Jesus is smart? Is he an intelligent person? 
is he describing reality for me right now? Because if he's describing reality, then even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, am I willing to lean towards him and see what would you have to say to me about this? Well, we're going to look just briefly in the time that's left at this teaching through four uh, headings, sort of four big ideas that we find from this text, and we'll move them through them pretty quickly. The first thing we see in this text is that there is uh, no limit. God gives us mercy with no limits. Um, $10 billion is just sort of an arbitrary figure, but it's not as if, it's not as if the guy had owed him $12 billion. The king would have said, I'm sorry, I can't go a dollar over $10 billion. That's, just, that's the ceiling. You've reached your quota. The idea is that there is literally a, a limitless reservoir of for, for forgiveness for you and for me. God offers mercy to you and me with no limitations, with no boundaries. You cannot outspend God. You cannot outsin his mercy. No matter what you and I do in this life and how much we feel like we may owe him, we will never actually reach a place where he's like, I'm sorry, I can't go there. You've reached a place. He gives without limit. The shocking thing in Jesus' mind going on in this story is not the forgiveness of the king. That's what God is like. That's what his father is like. The shocking thing in the story for Jesus' mind is the way that the servant responds to the gift because God gives without limits. This is the construct in Jesus' mind. It's the second point that in the kingdom, forgiveness generates forgiveness, that it's just sort of natural. Like, A forgiven person is going to forgive the next person. It's not that God forgives us so that we will forgive. That's not why he he forgives, because he wants to, because he loves us. We say it every week. He wants to give us his peace. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. He lifts the burdens off of us. God loves to forgive us in our sins. And yet, he forgives us so that we will be forgiving people. The assumption is that any Christian who's received forgiveness from God is just going to know and assume in their bones that they are no more worthy of mercy than even the worst among us. And therefore, forgiveness in the kingdom is going to generate forgiveness. There is a difference, though, this is our third idea, between forgiveness and excusing sin, between forgiving sin and excusing sin. And that difference came from an article that uh, I read that C.S. Lewis wrote, of course, many years ago uh, on forgiveness. We tend to uh, say that we come to God for forgiveness, but what we actually mean is we come to God to excuse our sin. Meaning we come and we say, oh God, you know that I am weak. You know that I I struggle in these ways. You know that that this is an area of weakness for me or that I'm frail. Um, So would you please just say that I'm okay? That's how we actually typically want to treat sin as something that is excusable. And, and that's sort of like, um, my sin is excusable. It makes sense. It's understandable. That's, that's something that we actually tend to pass on to one another. It's because that actually minimizes our badness. Nobody wants to think about what is going on in them as being dark or sinister. And so it's like, hey, I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. We're pretty good for one another until, until something happens that actually does wound you deeply, until a family of origin member abuses you, until you find out that a close friend that you trust has been gossiping about you and lying about you behind your back until a professional opportunity uh, is taken away from you because you confided in a coworker, until the person that, uh, that you are in love with uh, begins to date your best friend. And suddenly, suddenly it doesn't feel excusable anymore. Suddenly it feels personal. Suddenly it feels like it's attacking me, like it's something that's being taken from me. Suddenly there's something to have to forgive and not simply 
excuse. We want to just be excused. If I'm selfish one day, it's because I'm tired. But if you're selfish, it's because you're a bad person. If, 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 if I envy your lifestyle, it's because money has always been a stressor in my life. And I grew up in a home that didn't have a lot. And we were always kind of anxious about money. But if you're envious of my lifestyle, it's because you're a greedy and shallow person. You can't be happy for other people. What's wrong with you? We just tend to just naturally assume that we deserve to be excused of these things. And we're not always as willing to pass it on to other people. And we want God to do this for us as well. But when we talk about forgiveness, what we are being invited to do is to enter into the realm of what the Bible calls sin, which is not a word that any of us like to use. And yet it is a very important word because these ideas of lying and stealing and cheating and uh, defrauding and extorting and rob, these, these, these words have teeth to them. They cost people uh, something. These are not simply character defects. These are not the bad side of my Enneagram. These are not simply like uh, personality quirks. Uh, Yes, all of those things feed into those things and so many other things like multiple nights of sleep deprivation or maybe my blood sugar crash and I need to eat something. Those things can make me a more monstrous person than I normally am. But underneath there, there is a disease. There's something that needs to be dealt with. And simply trying to excuse it is like seeing cancer in a person and saying, well, of course, they're genetically predisposed to have it as if that does anything to, do, to fix the cancer. You have to do something. You have to address it. You have to acknowledge it. The church talks about sin so much because Jesus tells us to talk about it. It makes people uncomfortable, understandably. But he tells us to talk about it because he wants us to live in the realm of reality. He wants us to live in a space that is actually acknowledging what is actually going on. The problem for this servant is that he's unwilling to deal in reality. He actually receives his forgiveness as something that he, is, that he deserves. It's incredible. He's forgiven $10 billion, and then he just sort of gets up. Like, of course that happened. That, that sort of stuff always happens to me. And then he goes down and demands vengeance, demands repayment from something, because that feels appropriate at the moment. His forgiveness is warranted. His unforgiveness towards another is right as well. And in what ways am I actually repeating the cycle in my own life? Like, in what ways am I actually taking for granted the forgiveness that I receive from people constantly, from the people who know me best constantly, and yet actually feeling entitled, appropriate in my judgmental attitude towards others? Like, how am I just repeating the same cycle in my own uh, life? When we do this, we are not saying, my sins, they are many, as mercy is more. We're just simply saying, My weaknesses are obvious, but God understands. And it's a completely different gospel. It's not the sort of thing that will save any of us. Because let me just tell you, friends and loved ones, if the only thing separating you and me from fellowship with God that we were created for is my immaturity, then Jesus' death on the cross loses its power. But rather, it says in 1 Peter 2, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds, you and I have been healed. It it just gives dignity and power to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ because it acknowledges that what is wrong with us is not simply that I just need to try a little harder or read a few more books. There's something that needs to be cured in me. There's something that needs to be healed. And then finally, the fourth thing we see in this text is that we are called, therefore, to forgive as we have been forgiven. 
Or as Paul says it in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Which if you think about what that means, as God in Christ forgave you, what that means is forgiving one another the way God forgives. And how does God forgive? Through suffering. Because that's actually what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is choosing not to exact the penalty that another person owes you. It's acknowledging this was taken and it hurt. This wounded me in a way that I can never recover from fully. And rather than bruising you in return, rather than demanding some sort of payment from you, I'm going to just take it in myself and choose to forgive you. That's what forgiveness is. Tim Keller says, in all cases, when wrong is done, there is a debt. And there is no way to deal with it without suffering. Either you make the perpetrator suffer for it, and, or you forgive and you suffer for it yourself. And you say, well, that sounds really hard. And it, and it is really hard. And it's not something you're going to want to do. It's actually something that you have to choose to do before you will ever do it. You have to will it first before you'll ever feel it. We tend to make an idol of our feelings when we talk about forgiveness. Like we want it to like feel really natural. And so we'll say things like, I'm just not ready to forgive that person yet. You'll never be ready to forgive that person. You have to decide to forgive that person. Jesus's parable here is not meant to strike a chord of fear in you. Jesus says again and again and again, more than he says any other commandment. He says, fear not. So Jesus is not trying to make you and I afraid. He is also at the same time with, with urgency, with, with, with fire in his eyes. He's saying, but this must happen. Because don't think for a minute that forgiveness is the road of suffering, but unforgiveness is a pain-free life. It isn't. It is no coincidence that this man, at the end of the story, he is not simply put in prison. He is put in prison to be tortured. Unforgiveness is a path of torture, just as forgiveness is a path of suffering. But one of them has hope at the end. One has life. One has your soul alive to God at the end. One has you experiencing the grace and love of God at the end. And so you and I have nothing to do but to choose, no matter how much it hurts, to look at the person who has wronged us and say, I forgive you. And you're going to have to do it a lot. This is why Jesus says 77 times. It's not because I'm going to forgive this person for 77 different things. It's because I'm going to forgive this person 77 times for the same thing. Again and again, I'm going to have to choose. No, I'm not going to bring this up. No, I'm not going to let this define my opinion of you. No, I'm not going to let this be the way that I talk about you to others. And is that going to be hard? Are you going to feel that tension in yourself constantly? Are you going to want to let everyone know through social media and when you're hanging out late at night and you've had a drink, what this person did? Yes, that's actually how this works. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you, which is to say, through suffering. And so as we enter this week, we're going to go into a uh, time of confession now, and I just want to give you some questions for us to reflect in before we go into confession. So if you would please just, um, just close your eyes and just receive these as sort of moments of introspection, and then we're going to confess our sins together. Um, have there been times in my life where I have made excuses for sin? Maybe what are the spaces in my life right now where I'm... I'm wanting to excuse away sin. I don't think I need forgiveness. When I do that, when I've done it in the past and when I do it right now, how is that hurting people in my life? 
And then second, am I currently holding someone in a prison for things that they did to me? Is there somebody that I need to decide now that I'm going to forgive? And God, we know that when you invite us into these things, it feels like you're inviting us into the way of suffering, which, of course, you never minced words about that. You, you actually said, if anyone would be my disciple, he has to take up a cross and follow me. And yet, Lord, we just, with our brother Peter, we acknowledge we are afraid and we are confused. And we don't know, Lord, what this is going to mean. And so we ask God for the grace now as we confess our sins to hear from you, from your spirit, you're forgiven. So would you pray with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Receive the word of absolution. May the almighty God have mercy on you. Through Jesus Christ, may he strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may he keep you in eternal life. Amen. Uh, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But rather, instead of condemnation, instead of guilt, there is peace with God. We have peace with God. And so I say to you, may the peace of our Lord be with you. Um, Find someone who's near you. If not, um, you may just want to pick up your phone. We, We are still connected. We still sing as one. So find someone to share that peace with as we continue on in our service. come to this table every week because we are reminded every week that we are people who need a savior and we have a savior. This table is a tangible material reminder, not just of what has been done for us, but who did it. It is communion with Jesus. It's his body and blood. Because he said on the night when he was handed over to suffering and death, this bread is my body. Take and eat. Do this in the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. Drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so as we take this bread and we dip it in the cup of wine, we declare the great mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would make this food to be for us the body and blood of Christ. That as we come in faith to receive it, 
It may not be a mere memorial, Lord, but true communion with the one who has made a way for us to have peace. God, we are scared to look at all that is wrong in us, but we know you are not. You have seen it all and yet chose to love us, to enter the way of suffering so that we could be free. And so, God, we pray for the courage to go with you into ourselves, to ask hard questions, to seek true forgiveness, cleansing, healing, so that we might become those who naturally, freely, abundantly, and without limitation offer it to the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And especially, I want you to make note of the, the line in there, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. You know, that, that line may catch you up a little bit this week because um, it may not feel true. Like it might feel like a stretch for you to say that. I just want to invite you to say it as an act of faith. Say it as something that you are breathing over your heart. I may not have forgiven these people as I am seeking forgiveness from God, but I am speaking these words of faith and life over myself and believing that through the Holy Spirit, I'll become the person who forgives trespasses even as I have been forgiven. And so let's pray with the confidence, with the assurance of children, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Come to the table. I hope to see you very soon. You are loved. Grace and peace.